And we're joined now in studio by our all-black caller and rugby sport journalist, Mr Elliot Smith, as we look at the team that was announced today to take on Los Pumas coming up this weekend as part of the Tri-Nations Championship. Welcome into the studio, Elliot. I don't trust you well. I know you're well. I am well. Well guessed. (laughs) Nice. So we look... Uh, at this team, your knee-jerk reaction to what we've seen. I know when I saw the team initially, I mean, oh, look, they've gone back to type. Yep, precisely. That's exactly what I thought when I when I saw it as well at half past one this afternoon when it came out. And to be fair, that's pretty much what I expected as well. I, I thought that Will Jordan, and we haven't got a full update on how he passed the sort of uh, HIA test because he did come off with that head knock. I thought they might have given him a start, but... Very much what Ian Foster's done here is gone. <clears throat> We've gone back to the team that got us to Bledisloe in games two and three, albeit a couple of tweaks where they can't select off a Tuanga Fassi um, and things like that. But by and large, this is the team that delivered them the Bledisloe in games two and three and made sure it was stayed in New Zealand. Uh, their task this weekend is to get that extra step towards the Tri-Nations. So what does that actually involve with the Tri-Nations? They've got to win with a bonus and then do it again in two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah so it won't be secure this week because obviously Australia hasn't played Argentina yet, but if they're a two-point buffer at the moment because they got a bonus point last week and got the bonus point win the week before that. So New Zealand's on six, Australia's on four. They win this week, they go to 11 points. It becomes very hard for Australia to, to catch up. Uh, still not out of the reckoning, it won't be done uh, even after next week's game, unless Australia lose, perhaps. But, um, it, yeah, so it won't be done. We'll go down to that last game, um, so New Zealand will have to keep on winning. You listened to the press conference that uh, Ian Foster had. How much of it did he concede that the wholesale selections last week really didn't work? Yeah, he did He did suggest that and, and suggested that they weren't really ready as a team, and, and that's something that he's got to work on is, is preparing those players for the challenge. Uh, evidently, they, they probably now have this first-choice team, which seems to rise to the occasion, but there's still those players next level um, where they obviously made those tweaks for that first game. Once I tweaks, there was no team to select from, but they went a, in a wee bit of a different direction for that game one, went in a very different direction for game four against Australia. Uh, I think that next level below is still where uh, they need to, um, to, to work on that. Um, also, as well, you look at um, TJ Perenara, Scott Barrett. Now, he was quick to point out that this was workload with those two players. I don't think either of them, and I think most people would, would be in agreement, they didn't have their best nights last weekend. Scott Barrett um, obviously conceding the, the yellow card and the penalty that put Australia uh, with, a, with a three-pointer right in front. And, and TJ Perenara, I think, was just error-riddled throughout that entire game, certainly not a, a standout All Blacks test from his perspective. They're not in the 23 this week, but Ian Foster very quick to say that it was load management. Scott Barrett coming back from that toe injury, TJ Perenara having played the other uh, test so far this season. But you look at it and they've gone, well, almost restored that starting lineup that gave them the Bledisloe. Well, TJ Perenara and Scott Barrett were effective off the bench, but they seem to have paid the price. They have. With TJ Pitinata, though, you've got a feel for him to a degree. Uh, he was on the park far too long. Was that uh, an ill bit of judgment from Ian Foster? Yeah, I think mind? it was. And, and look, they, they were forced into a corner a wee bit um, around the bench because they um, lost a player early and that, that changes the way you operate. And yes, you know, uh, uh, Bray Webber's not a Ford, but it does change the way you operate and the way you roll out your bench. And uh, I think there was certainly a part of that and, and wanting some continuity on the park. Uh, to, to what Ian Foster said today, he was quite happy with the physicality that TJ Penanara bought. Said he was getting bashed up at almost every ruck. He's been pulled in by the Australians and, and really being beaten up and uh, and that sort of game. I, I completely with you, with you Darcy, that they should have bought on Bray Webber early. He, he could have changed the game 20 minutes. And I'm not saying the All Blacks would have won, but... This has been their tactic a lot of times now is that 
if Aaron Smith's not having his best test or is unable to control things around the ruck, unable to control the speed of play, get that ball for uh, Richie Mwangat, they bring on TJ Perenara. They were very reluctant to do that last week and only got, what, eight or nine minutes at the end. We saw what change he did make because he helped set up that try for Tupo Vile with his quick passing out of ruck and quick ball. Um, I think there was definitely a change that should have been made sort of 15 minutes into that second half, if not earlier. You could probably say that across some of the changes as well, not only with TJ Perenara. He seemed to be very... uh... What's the word I'm trying to grab here? Help me out with this one. He was reluctant. Relu- yeah, very yeah. reluctant to, to make the change, and, and perhaps it was slightly too conservative um, from Ian Foster in, in terms of the way that he, he did operate his bench last week. We didn't see Will Jordan until late either, um, and, and Cullen Grace got a few moments towards the end, um, remembering as well that Tyra Lomax had to come on early and Akira Ioane had to, to come off. So that they had... Their bench was sort of mismanaged out of their own hands from about 25 minutes in, but um, they didn't sort of play catch-up, and I think perhaps a few tactical uh, missteps by by Foster and the coaching team last weekend. Can you cut them some slack, though, when you consider that this is also his first time at the big dance? I mean, he's taken the all-black role now as the all-black coach. Oh. He is going to, I suppose, he's going to take a couple of blows to the solar plexus. Is that acceptable at this level for that coach? Yeah, I think it is. Um, and, and let's not forget, look, the the Blurters I Cup was... was Tied up, it was done. You know, the All Blacks had, had won the series or you know, were leading in the series 2 0, unassailable lead. And, and there was, there was a cause for people to, for them to make changes. And they did exactly that and gave players a chance to either A, freshen up or look at some new players. Uh, when they did perhaps win a few few changes too far, I think you can probably argue that case. But but it is, it is a game where you've got to sort of feel things out. And if there was a game in this Tri Nation series to do it, it was last weekend. So and took, they took it. the opportunity. Look, I was um, reasonably happy, I'll admit, she wrote about it, mm-hmm. uh, about what the All Blacks are trying to do and attempting to do with those wholesale changes. And I can see some goodness that it. it didn't quite work out how we'd like to. So I was in favour of that. But I suppose with the benefit of hindsight, we can go probably when only one player retained his position in the back line, you might have been asking a little too much. Yeah, Even in the and, face of an average Wallaby yeah, team. Yeah, and you, you saw the combinations back to their opening Bledisloe and Wellington where the combinations weren't quite there. That they, they tried to stick in Goodhue and, and Rico Iwani in a midfield combination. Uh, that didn't really work. Damien McKenzie came in late, and it felt very much like that sort of performance last Saturday uh, as to what we saw in that first game in, 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 in Wellington where the combinations weren't quite there, weren't quite clicking, um, and they weren't getting that front football either. So um, I, I think you certainly cut a, Ian Foster a bit of slack uh, around that, remembering as well, these are the only tests they've got this year. This is the only chance they've got to experiment. Usually there is that three-test window um, in, in June where they can bring in new players, they can trial out in new combinations. Well, now they're living and doing it in a rugby championship or a quasi-rugby championship and, and, and that's not really the usual sort of sandbox that the All Blacks tend to try things out in. I like that. You, sandbox. Who's got the spade in the plastic bucket? I suppose the next question. But look, Elliot, when you look at it though, still it doesn't give excuses around the lack of focus and control mm. that all of the All Blacks displayed or didn't display didn't in display. that game. Yeah. They look very worried. They look frantic. They look harassed and this is not what we'd expect from arguably well the best players in the country it seemed like a very they got immature performance it they, was rattled they got rattled and didn't bring themselves back to or recenter themselves and 
I think that's what the All Blacks in that really golden era, and I suppose we almost look back at it now, between sort of 2010 and, and 2018, that this decade of dominance thereabouts where, where, where things were getting out of control, when, when games were slipping away from them, they all took a collective deep breath and were able to reel it in, and that was done by some really good leaders that they had on the park. You know, McCaw, Carter, Kane, uh, Reed, all those players that came through. Kane's still there, he's still a leader, but, um, you know, you're still developing that next lot of leaders, and they didn't. They use that, that that theory in the All Blacks that the red and blue, and they didn't get out of the red. The red and blue theory is a red head makes bad decisions. When you're blue head, you can't. You make good Precisely. decisions. This is something that Richie McCaw, along with Gilbert Anoka, was very hot and, on. And, and everyone's got their own wee um, things to recenter themselves. For want of a better word, I think Richie McCaw's was was looking deep into the stadium to the furthest possible point and just taking a deep breath and and bring himself back into you know calmness that way. Like the Warriors used to gather when they used 100%. to do the same thing with and, the All Blacks, stand around and breathe. And we didn't see that from the All Blacks last week that the red card happened but then the silly mistakes the errors kept coming through um the cynical scott barrett one which was completely dumb you know that it wasn't as though the red card was the line under the sand line in the sand in last weekend it w- was pretty much the continuation of right throughout that contest so uh, that's what they need to be better at this weekend against argentina because again if they lose if they lose a player to a red card then that really does even up the test match and um, let's face it red cards are a thing they happen now whether you like it or not how many red years. cards yeah up until then there was one suddenly there's been a proliferation of red heart cards like it or not, that's the rulings. That's the rulings. Um, yeah, look, I, I still uh, struggle with that. Um, the fact that, you know... Well, what do you struggle with exactly? The, the, I, the law itself, the application of the law? Application of. Okay. Application of, because when I grew up, you know, this is, you, know you, you knew what a red card was. You knew that when you see something in the park, you instantly know, well, that's a red. Now we get to the point where, okay... That might be a red. Or is it a yellow? Is he slipping? I'm not sure. So there's not a definition in your mind enough. Or they've they've made The application of is not uh, by referee. We saw in the test in Sydney, uh, Filippo Dungunu capturing um, Caleb Clark mid-air, taking him out mid-air. For me, that was a red card. Wasn't taken. Harry Wilson uh, copped uh, Sam Kane with a pretty similar hit to uh, what Offer did, perhaps even slightly worse to to um, to the Tom Tom Wright, the Australian player. Didn't and, he get again, on the ground? Test. Yeah, yeah. That, that again, that wasn't punished. So that is me is that referees. We know it's a referee interpreted game in many ways, but uh, for me, you used to always know that a red card was red, but it was player striking, it was something else like that. Now there's so much grey area. Um, and that's put on by the referees. I think the the rules, as stated by World Rugby, are pretty clear. I don't think the application of them by referees is actually that good. That you know what they're trying to do and what they're attempting. I can to see do, exactly but, what they're trying to do. As Gregor Paul pointed out, though, it's odd when they are very hard on attacks to the head and no concussion. Yet players are running around without mouth guards on. There's one problem, mm. and there are a number of other areas where they don't seem to come down like a ton of bricks on it, where it's just as dangerous. Like the guys that got hit. They didn't go off for an HIA last week. No. So if it's bad enough for a red card, why weren't they being examined they, if the drive with the red card is to keep the players safe? 100%. 100%. And that, if, that's your, if that's your answer, then it should be an automatic HIA. I, I don't care if the, the ground doctor hasn't spotted it. If, if someone's made contact with their head, that should be part of parcel of it. Okay, well, unfortunately, you're going to have to go off because you've been involved in a, 
um, a red card incident to the head, you're going off for an HIR. I think that needs to become part and parcel of it. To show they're taking it seriously, we can see the red cards, we see them being dished out. Uh, I don't really have an issue with it necessarily, but I think it's that demarcation line where referees, um, some referees one week will view it differently to one the next week. And um, it seems as though the head referee will have a consensus and there's not really ever a lot of pushback on those. We've normally got James Parsons in the studio, though. Circumstances beyond our control. So thanks very much for coming at the last minute. Uh, Elliot Smith is our all-black caller here at News Talk ZB. James has always got something to say about the Mitre 10 Cup. He has a huge love for that. What chaos awaits oh. this weekend? I would say, could you please unroll it for us and tell us what's going to happen? But that's an impossibility because it's so close. I've read two articles today, and I, I, I still don't get the scenarios that we could see play out this weekend. Isn't that a fantastic spot to begin with the Mitre 10 Cup? Um, we we could see Canterbury relegated this weekend. We could see, uh, in a series of scenarios, Wellington relegated. Bay of Plenty and North Harbour, um, uh, basically one of them wins. They're into the playoffs, but then you cycle it back and... I think there's still a chance one of them could get relegated as well. It is the most fascinating sort of scenario um, that we're going to see play out. For Southland tomorrow night, they're playing counties. Uh, they win. They're into the playoffs. Um, and then Northland might miss out. So it is just the the perfectly set up weekend when it comes to the Mitre 10 Cup and the playoffs we're going to see over the next couple. The one thing we do know is that Auckland's got home advantage for the semi-finals next week. That's about the only certainty um, across certainly the Premiership division. The rest, it could be, you know, we could be sitting here at the end of the weekend with all the teams in the same order. Or you they sound could like be a, a cricket umpire. It could have been anything. It could have been. It could have been. <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating weekend, and and you know I, I think we really won't know obviously until we see the end of that Canterbury uh, Auckland game Sunday afternoon, which is the final game of the season. And and look, as far as you go, this is a delayed minor ten cup season, but they got the perfect finish for it. Yeah, and when you look at that clash, and it's a, a traditional age-old clash, mm. and I believe it's a Blues-Crusaders as the final game of Super Rugby next season as well. Uh, and the Crusaders, or sorry, the Canterbury side, they could actually qualify for playoffs, or they could go out the back door. And it's an Auckland team that's, with all due respect to the players, a B team. They've been savaged by oh, injury. I was, I was hearing from their media manager earlier on today, and they haven't named their team as yet, but I think there was about eight or nine players um, that just aren't available because they're, they're injured. And some will be back next week, some won't be back um, following that either. So, I mean, they've been decimated. They had two, hook, two hookers injured during the game last week. They had to go back to Golden Oldies scrums. Um, they also lost Sione Tui Pilotu, um, who's been impressive for them. Uh, they've been decimated by injury. So, Alamo and Amir will be very grateful they've already got that home advantage locked away because... Um, not doing Canterbury a favour or anything, but at least they can go down there uh, and and allow some of their players to freshen up and, and get fit for that game next week because yeah, they've been absolutely decimated, poor Alama. Mate, based on what you've seen, and we'll let you go shortly, I know you've got plenty of work to do, but based on what you've seen in the Mitre 10 Cup so far, who do you actually like for the championship, or the premiership, the actually winner-take-all? I still do like Auckland um, if they can get a lot of players back. Now, TJ Fiani's out for the season. He's been a real talisman for them, not only this season, but you go back season to... Season upon season. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 2018, where he um, captained them to the title at Eden Park against Canterbury. Um, he's been a really, really strong player for them, and I think they do miss him when he's not in the park and he's out for the rest of the season. I still like Auckland. The fact that they'll get home advantage through the playoffs, I think, is a big, big bonus for them. Tasman, who knows which Tasman team's turning up. They can beat you 31-0. You might lose than 31 nil, you know yeah it's, it's, it's uh they're a bit of a mess canterbury could come through and win it wouldn't that they'd be hilarious let's from just put two an can-tabs. asterisk on this here there's two cantabs sitting in the studio so excuse us yeah. for that um but it is yeah it's, it's quite remarkable i'm going to say auckland just the, the fact that they'll have home advantage for the next couple of weeks